Welcome to episode two of Ace Interpretations, a podcast about asexuality, fandom, and where they intersect. I'm Quartic Moose, call me Quartic, here with my co-host, KK. Hello. And Love the Heaven. Hi. Today's topic is headcanon, and I am super excited for this episode, but first, we got to get some terminology out of the way uh, before we can really get down to the nitty-gritty of discussing this big one being what is headcanon. To understand headcanon, you first have to understand canon. This is C-A-N-O-N. I'm sorry, just pet peeve. No C-A-N-N-O-N. That is artillery, and it's something else entirely. Shooting cannon balls, you add the extra N in the middle of the word. But This is just C-A-N-O-N for fiction and whatnot. (laughs) I mean, there may be canons involved, but they're not the title. Yeah. It's canon like, you know, when you talk about Bible studies... You know, it's like the opposite of Apocrypha, which I realize now doesn't help you if you don't know what canon is. But if you already know what Apocrypha is, then you definitely know what canon is. So that's not a helpful. So, yeah, so canon is the core body of work that is considered accepted and true. Whereas, like, the Apocryphal Bible stories are like, oh those are not part of the proper story, and that gets all very technical. Besides the point. It's besides the point. Um, so canon was first applied to a f- work of fiction. Uh, actually, it was, it was in the Sherlock Holmes fandom, like the original ones, like way back when Arthur Conan Doyle was writing. And so it's actually, it was interesting. There was this guy, Waddle Knox, wrote an essay in 1911 that was really a satire of modern biblical criticism of the time. He was very critical of like the way people had been analyzing the Bible, so he took those same methods and then analyzed the work of Conan Doyle to show how ridiculous it was. But by drawing that connection, all of Sherlock fans like jumped on board and started calling the core uh works about homes that had been written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle as the canon or the sacred writings, um, because there are actually a number of, of home stories that were written by other authors. Yeah, so the Sherlock fandom, you know, adopted this use of calling, you know, the main work canon. And to this day, we still sort of hold to this. Like, if you're watching a TV show, those episodes of the show would be considered canon or canonical. Um, works of fan fiction are therefore not canon. They are extraneous. Um, did I use the word extraneous correctly? I'm not actually sure now. I'm I second. think you did. <laughs> yeah. Not totally positive, but I think you did. I, I didn't want to trivialize them, but I'm like, yeah, they're, they're non-canon. And so that is what canon basically means. For some, I should say, for some long-running shows, like uh, Doctor Who immediately comes to mind, there is sometimes debate over what is and is not canon, because we can say, okay, the TV shows are definitely, definitely canon, but there have been hundreds of tie-in novels and radio shows uh, over the decades, and so some people pick and choose and say, oh, yes, this is canon, this is not canon. Like, the 19, was the 1994 movie? Like, he makes a claim, like, oh, he's half-human, and this, like, came out of nowhere and has never been brought up since, and people are like... Yeah, oh, yeah, that one, like, that was weird. Paul McGann is a doctor, like, that's canonical, but that comment is not canonical. <laughs> um, and then... I feel like that comment gets kind of, like, shoved into a corner and left. Yes, exactly. We're just kind of... We're like, don't, don't, don't even look over there. Just leave that. It's, it's fine. It's fine. And the new uh, Star Wars movies enraged a lot of fans because there had been what had been called like the expanded universe, the EU, um, which was a whole series of, you know, books and comics and all these things to uh, elaborate on the world building of the Star Wars universe. And when the Force Awakens came out, you know, the bigwigs at the top said. We are discarding the, the expanded universe. Like, none of that is considered canon anymore, um, which upset a lot of people. But their reasons for doing that were, I think, sound. Like, they really need to make the new movies broadly accessible, even to people who weren't 
you know, the, the Star Wars fans who'd been following all this, this nitty gritty detail. Uh, and additionally, it, it prevents there from being too many spoilers, you know, because you can read. I'm on, I'm on the Star Wars Expanding Universe Wikipedia page, and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of controversy and complicated ways to define all of the different canon branches, I think, is part of it. Yeah. Just hearing that sentence alone, I'm like, you know what, they made the right call, because (laughs) again, there's just so much of it. Oh, yeah, I mean, there was even, like, little symbols, like, oh, you know, this is part of the legacies branch, and this is part of, like, I mean, the legacies is the only branch I can think of the name of off the top of my head, but... (laughs) Yeah, it was it was complicated, and they they really needed to shed a lot of that to to make the new movies work. Um, but yeah, canon. So KK, how would you sum up canon after hearing this nice explanation from Cordic? Uh, so basically, you can just canon is just the core material. I'm just gonna resort to a very class descriptor. Think of it like a cake. Canon is the actual cake itself. It's the actual baked cake. Yellow cake, chocolate cake, whatever you... It's whatever cake you want, but it's the cake. Headcanon and everything else is like the frosting. Headcanon is... This is where you're going to find a lot of your fans of shows that love to just kind of delve deeper into it and kind of just investigate things and they usually will use their own experiences to kind of figure things out. Headcanon itself is actually defined as something that is based on elements of a fictional universe and is accepted by usually an individual fan or sometimes very large groups of individual fans. And it's not necessarily found within or supported by the official universe. So it's going to be an interpretation Based on this cake, yeah, and I would, but I would done by the individual. Yeah, I would take a step further and clarify that it's not su- necessarily supported by canon. But I think an important uh, addition to that definition is that head canon isn't contradicted; is usually not contradicted by canon. So while it might not be explicitly supported by the canon, it's there's also nothing to say that. This can't be true. And so this is how a headcanon might differ from, you know, someone's idea of like, oh, like a coffee shop AU or a soulmate AU or, you know, any kind of sort of really divergent alternate universe, like severely alternate character interpretation. Like, oh, what if this good guy was actually an assassin or, you know, so on and so forth. I mean... But there's a, a blur that I'm reminded, so I had this headcanon, and it was like, this is, I don't know if it counts as a headcanon, um, for, like, White Collar, which is set as a, it's a, what do you call it, like, crime drama? or Yeah, yeah I would say it's a crime drama. White Collar crime. Yeah. But yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's still a crime drama. They're it's still stealing stuff. It's like a buddy cop crime drama, or, you know, whatever. Um, and so there's no supernatural elements in that show whatsoever, right? Um, there's nothing magical or fantastical. I mean, some things might be like, okay, you know, the physics of this are Hollywood physics. Yeah, um, definitely but, that. Yeah, nothing really, you know, that, but I was like, you know what? I think Neil is part bird. Um, and I was studying birds at the time, and so like, my, I had a whole list building up this headcanon, and it was like, you know, there's nothing in the show that directly contradicts this idea of, of Neil being part bird. His hair is uh, very feathery. Let's put that out there. Uh, well, specifically, okay, like the Corvids, you know, and and it sort of developed in this whole story of like, oh, he's descended from like Raven, because like the whole trickster thing, but I was like, oh no, like things about behaviorally and his math skills and being gregarious versus being, you know, lots of things. And so it's like just making columns like, oh, yeah, this headcanon is totally supported by canon, <laughs> despite the fact that I don't really think it should properly count as a headcanon uh, because it's uh, genre bending. You know? And that is one of the things that people run into with headcanons is that, 
there are the bigger different fictions or whatever that, again, they full-on change the universe. It's not just this character now has that to them. It's not looking at the factors of the show and then determining, oh, this could be a thing. The ones that change the entire universe, right? it is usually kind of different to call them headcanons, I think. Yeah. So there's um, a few things I wanted to say. First of all, I think it's amazing that you use the cake metaphor because we are an asexuality podcast and cake is kind of an in-joke. But um, also that... Well, there is that. <laughs> an in-joke that we will cake. not explain, apparently. <laughs> Oh. Well, there's a lot that hasn't been explained so far. But yes, basically, cake is better than sex. And is it's... Always. This is non-negotiable, people. Cake well, wins. no, but see, if you don't like cake or sex, you know, it's... I don't really like the so cake. So have pie. Or <laughs> because it builds this assumption that everybody likes cake. Um, and okay, fine. Sort of like, if you like cake... Cake wins, always. If you'd rather have pie, pie wins always. There. Actually, if you overanalyze it, there's so many criticisms of the cake joke thing, but it took off partially because cake emojis and various things on forums and whatnot. It's a very simple, silly, fun idea for the people that like cake. But for people who are vegan or for whatever reason really don't like cake, it's it's not good. And even if it's, you like even if you love cake, for a lot of asexuals, things like laundry is better than sex. Like putting something good like up there doesn't even properly capture the nuance of how much like certain asexuals hate sex. And then there's all the asexuals who like sex, and then there's all the issues with saying that cake is better than sex. But anyway, I still thought it was hilarious that you said a cake metaphor. And you were saying that cake is just the basic part and that icing is headcanon. And really, icing is like all of fandom. Like, I, is how I was thinking. Okay, when yeah, you, you're right. You began your, your metaphor. I'm like, you know, icing is all the stuff you can add to this canon. All this, and there's a lot of things you can add that are like fan works and creations and things to make it more fun. But there's also just ways to think about it. And there's. You can cut it in half. <laughs> yes, you could. So does this mean that headcanons are like the sprinkles instead? <laughs> No, 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 oh, 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 I know what headcanon is. Okay. Okay, you have a cake. It's covered in vanilla frosting. Okay. Headcanon says, I think this is a chocolate cake on the inside. And someone else headcanon says, no, I think this is a vanilla cake on the inside. And someone else's headcanon says, no, this is like a lemon cake on the inside. And we can't see because we don't. It doesn't, the, the inside isn't revealed to us. Yeah, there's just no yeah. proof either way. The, the cake's on the other side of a window, and we're never going to be touching the inside of that cake. Nobody's going to actually eat it. But we can all imagine our own favorite flavor, <laughs> and that's sort of how it works. Yeah. On fanlore.org, which is a fandom-based wiki, they have a headcanon definition that says, headcanon spelled three different possible ways, by the way, because there's no one rule about it. Three? Three different ways. Most commonly, it's one word, headcanon, but sometimes it's with a space in the middle, and sometimes it's with a dash in the middle, or a hyphen. I guess you call it a <sighs> I All think right. the space is, like, the result of autocorrect, maybe? <laughs> anyway, a headcanon, according to this site, is a fan's personal, idiosyncratic interpretation of canon, such as the backstory of a character or the nature of relationships between characters. And this can be affected by movies and audiobooks and other like professional transformative works that can change how you think of the original canon later and it can be affected by fan works like after you read this fan work this is my new head canon or what you know read a fan fan fiction look at this fan art all the types of fan works sure. or it can just be something you think of on your own something that you you know take certain pieces of the puzzle of the canon and you're like, you know what? If I connect the dots just like this, then Neil on white collar is a bird. Part bird. Okay. Part bird <laughs> is part bird. And doesn't fly. I think that's important to clarify because the whole like, Oh, 2% bird DNA gives you the ability to fly. And I'm like, no, that's no, not it how doesn't. It works. <laughs> exactly. Look at biology. This is, that's not 
how it works. Well, I'm not sure there's any part, part bird humans um, out there, but... Uh... <laughs> no, because wingfic is a thing, you know, so I don't want to put the wrong idea out there like, oh, yeah, I just wanted to give him wings. It's like, no, no, he doesn't have wings. He doesn't fly. It's no, not I, that I, don't, I don't think a lot of us know. I don't think this is a thing that we're all very familiar it's, with. <laughs> yeah, well, if you're in the bird circle. <laughs> That's true. If you're in the bird circle, you probably know. <laughs> and yeah, so we've said AU a lot in both this episode and last episode, and I think Quartic finally defined it. Alternate universe. And this is just a very, this is a nice thing to contrast against headcanon, I think. It's a nice idea of, you know, how different it is to play what if in terms of if you change something, what if you change the universe to be an alternate one versus what if the universe is already like this? What if we this is an explanation for why things are the way they are in canon? Or what if this is just the backstory and nothing you're not actually you're you're staying consistent within the canon in your in your thought process about what could be happening. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I think yeah, that is. there's two there's a like some people consider canon divergent, you know, as a tag, to be uh, AU. And some people say, no, canon divergent is just its own thing. And then AU is, as you say, the universe is different from the beginning. So what's canon divergent? So canon divergent is um, you pick a point in the canon timeline and say, what if events happen differently here? How would that change things further along the line? Um, and so it's sort of things usually get like progressively more different. Um, kind of the idea of like, for want of a nail, the kingdom was lost. You know, it's like, oh, if one little thing tweaked, or sometimes it's a major thing that gets tweaked, um, and then see how events play out with that change. Whereas AU, I mean, there's so many different kinds of AUs out there. Um, and then some popular ones sort of get their own tag. We've mentioned before Soulmate AU. Uh, coffee shop AU, uh, human AU. If like if the canonical work is all like superheroes with powers and everything, or werewolves, you know, then you have an AU where everybody's human and there's no powers exist. Um, you can have the inverse of that where it's like, oh, if you have a show that's normally just humans, you can have a superpower AU and say like, oh, what if these characters existed in a world where superpowers uh, were known and you know available just everywhere? Yeah. Yeah, also, a big one you'll find, Soulmate AU. That one is just yes. everywhere. And we talked about it. Yeah, we did. Yes. Talk about it. <laughs> yeah, we did talk about it. Um, also, did anyone else... I don't know if anyone else here has seen Back to the... I mean, I just... The, t- the second you were like, small thing and different alternate realities, I'm just like, this is literally Doc Brown just talking to me right now. You're talking about Back to the Future trilogy of yep. movies? <laughs> yeah, but I'm just like, I just want to go find a DeLorean now. <laughs> The whole time she was on that, and I felt really bad about it. Yeah, most time travel trope things play with the idea of, can you change things? If you change things, what will happen? How much does that affect the rest of life? <laughs> like, yep. pretty Think much. the butterfly effect. Yes. So, we're an asexuality podcast, and we haven't yes. brought up um, ace headcanons, which is probably... I, you know, I mean, it hasn't been that long. We needed to establish some terminology first. I think we established ace terminology well enough last uh, episode, so now we've just had a lot of fandom stuff to dive into. And it's complicated. It takes time for us to learn all this. I think, you know, you don't you don't just automatically understand it. You, like, immerse yourself in a fandom world and you eventually, you know, a, a fandom yeah. community. And then, you know, eventually you pick up on how people are using words like headcanon and canon and AU and soulmate AU and whatnot. You figure out what exactly it means. Yeah, there are very few, like, fandom terminology or fandom jargon dictionaries out there. You know, what you said about immersion is like, yeah, that's how I, I learn. I just keep encountering, you know, plot bunny over and over and over again. And then, like, rabid plot bunny and kind of building a picture like, okay, that's like an idea that just grabs hold of your brain and you just have to write it out. Um, but then it changes over time, you know, because it's like I think the use of of citrus and lemon has, like, nowadays people don't really use those um, to, to designate um, porn anymore. 
Um, Citrus. Like, oh, <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know what lemon and li- lime. I was about to say I know what lemon is, but no but one the says the word new. No one says yeah, the no, word so, citrus. Come on. Yeah, no, I've encountered citrus a couple times when they were they were saying like, okay, what is the general term for both lemons and limes? Uh, citrus. So if like it contains no citrus, usually like they wouldn't say like, oh, lots of citrus. They would say like, lemon. Yay! Don't like, don't read. Um, All right. Yeah. Now I know. Um, but yeah, I don't think, I think that's sort of gone out of vogue. So lemon Uh, is explicit sexual fan fiction and lime is a fanfic in which characters engage in limited sexual activity without it being portrayed explicitly. Yeah. (sighs) Anyway. I think the important part is that we're all fruits. We're all fruits. (laughs) (laughs) That is the, that is the takeaway. (laughs) That's Uh, my takeaway is that everyone, we're all fruits. So... There are um, there are different ways to play with asexuality in fandom spaces, but one of the most popular is headcanons. Is saying, let's look at the canons of our favorite fan works and see if there are any characters where nothing disproves that they're asexual or aromantic or demisexual or various, you know, gray asexual identities or other things like that. And... It can be really fun. It can be really, um, it can be really detailed and have a, like, you can write a whole essay on, like, what things did you analyze that made this headcanon make sense to you? And it's usually more than just, well, nothing disproves it, but not always. It can be really fun to just be like, this is it, no explanation needed, this is just my headcanon. But it can also be fun to write an entire, like, meta essay about why if they were asexual, this would explain their action in this scene. And there was no reason that they couldn't be asexual because asexuality is blah, 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 because there's so many ways to be asexual because so many things don't actually disprove asexuality. There's so many different ways to go about this. And when I said a meta essay, headcanoning is like one, and I use it as a verb because that's what we do in fandom communities, but headcanoning is one um, example of, Meta, basically. Meta in fandom communities is used as a, like, referring to itself. It it means, like, an abstraction of itself. So it's like X is about X. We use it to discuss um, a discussion of fan works, just period. Any type of, like, nonfiction interaction with, um, with fandom, where instead of I don't know how to explain it at all. I think I need to start yeah, over. Yeah, like, meta <laughs> is a concept just yeah. as a word. Like, you look up the word meta, and it's used very different in different ways. Um, like, metadata, with, I can't even define metadata. I'm just throwing out examples of the word yeah. meta. Yeah, um, no, that's... And then, and then it's like, if you're familiar with The Flash, they have metahumans, which is completely... Unreli- you know, and then you say, oh, but is metabolism related to meta? And I'm like, I don't actually think so. Yeah. I think metadata, um, metadata is a good example. The idea is like everything in a computer generated like file is data, but metadata is like the data about the file. It's not just the, so, so you're talking about like the, the timestamp and the, and the things that are like embedded inside the file somewhere. And we're, and, and it, we take it in a totally different direction when we talk about fandom and we've used it as, it's basically, um, we, we started using it like slang and we start just saying meta to mean any like, academic style discussion, even if it's really informal, like academic themed, you know, discussion where you discuss whether it's like problematic representation or not, whether it's logical, whether it, you know, like whether the physics are makes sense in this universe or not, whether it makes sense that soulmates could, you know, actually exist in a universe, you know, if you're talking about soulmate AUs, all that stuff can be examples of meta in a fandom world. And if you talk about a headcanon, like for more than just a sentence, you start basically diving into one of many, many examples of how meta can work in fandoms. Does that make sense? I think, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think a, a near synonym for meta, uh, or example of meta would be discourse. Like sometimes it's referred to as like the discourse surrounding a work. Um, 
Right? Do I have that right? Yeah, but I think we also need to sum up and just say, this is just a huge rabbit hole, people. This is complicated. Yeah, this is such a giant rabbit hole to go down. Well, no, no. No, it's like it's like a proper rabbit hole, not like an Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole that just goes down. Like, if you actually take a cross-section of a rabbit warren, there are so many branching tunnels that go in, like, all different directions. It's still a deep rabbit hole. <laughs> um, and also, discourse in the asexual community can mean something messier and uglier. Oh, yeah, um, right. Just throwing yeah. that out there. <laughs> Yeah, it can also mean uh, some angry people. Okay, what it really what it what it can mean is um, that it became a thing on Tumblr in particular, where people who um, either were questioning I don't know they were basically antagonistic towards asexuals were calling that the discourse, the asexual discourse, the conversations where you're like fighting with asexuals to some degree or another. Oh yeah. And usually it's not over, like, really deep, big stuff. It's little things, it seems to be. Yeah, no, there's, there's internet fights are just, they get so ugly. Um, but yeah, no, I think we, we sort of fell down another rabbit hole. Well. <laughs> no, no, we're, we're back to talking about. There's just so terms. many little angles. Like we, we almost got onto a discussion of asexuality, and then we kind of fell back into this. Uh, rut as, not a rut. I'm trying to think of like a positive term, oh. like, oh, we fell back into <laughs> we the bubble bath. We no, fell- bubble bath. We fell back into the bubble bath, um, and it's like, great, and everything's going swimmingly, but we were actually trying to do something else with this. Um, <laughs> we were trying to get out and be productive. It was a slippery spike. But yeah, so, asexual headcanons. <laughs> yeah, so, because I think we defined Jen as a as a sort of category last time, right? No. We were talking about soulmate AUs and relationship fix versus gen fix. I can't be sure we defined it. We can do a refresher. <laughs> yeah, okay. So gen is short for general. Um, it is sometimes misapplied. Uh, I think that'll be a whole, that'll be a later topic if we're just going into to gen in detail. Um, that probably will makes, have its own episode. Yeah. Uh, it's a, a work that doesn't have uh, a focus on or even contain romantic relationships. Uh, and so what I find is that a lot of my ace headcanons, if I'm watching a show, um, you know, it's easier for me to headcanon a character as ace if the relationship depicted is gen. You know, so if the character is not involved in any... The way they use it on Archive of Our Own is if the focus of the story is, it's supposed to be, you know, you check whether it's male-male, male-female, female-female, or gen, or other. I think there's, and, yeah, the other, and there's so little agreement on what other, what constitutes other. Going back to canon, right, if a character has only platonic relationships, it is usually good fodder for um, ace headcanon. Well, I should say it makes it easier to build an aromantic. See here, as as someone who is both aromantic and asexual, I tend to confound, you know, like, oh, what is, you know, what do I enjoy because I'm ace and what do I enjoy because I'm aromantic are like the same all the time. It conflates, uh, yeah. Yeah, I can't draw the distinction. <laughs> I can try, um, and I'll, I'm going to try not to throw aromantics or asexuals under the bus um, as I'm, as I'm going through this, I'm uh, sure you won't. I'll do my best if you don't see a character engaging in sex, but because Western television tends, you know, I mean, you have to be on HBO or, you know, there's only so many shows that actually really allow for the portrayal of, of sex in television. Um, and then, well, there's, they can imply it pretty clearly. But, you know, for a long time, that kind of went right over my head. So maybe, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Why did they walk into the bedroom? Oh, they're having a sleepover. That's right. Yeah, no, I mean, there are certain certain types of shows that don't show the bedroom. And there are certain types of TV shows or books, series, or whatever that do. And, And, yeah, I mean, there's still all the issues of, I mean, so how sexual do you think making out is? 
how ace are, does you know how 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 many aces are enjoying that and there's there's ways that certain characters seem less motivated by sex or by sexual attraction and by how hot they find the people around them or whatever it is that can help feed into ace headcanons and it definitely helps if they're also you know seeming not motivated by romance because then they they easily avoid the sex whether or not that's on purpose but in the show's universe it it means that without romance where there's less chance for sex, right? <laughs> on, mm-hmm. the, on these TV shows, especially if you're thinking about yeah. visual media. <laughs> yeah, I think, like, sometimes there's there's will be, like, one event or a comment. Uh, I know you mentioned, like, Sherlock, you know, yeah. in, in the last episode. Uh, thinking Doctor Who's another example, uh, because there'll be a couple of times where he's been, like, completely mystified by two people kissing. Like, what? Why? Did, don't you have to breathe? Like... Um, and there was another instance when I think Amy started, and he was just like backing up, like, ooh, get off me, like, what? I don't, what? Just um, complete and utter confusion. Yes. And so that's sort of like, oh, then, you know, you end up with a lot of ace Doctor Who fic, uh, because you sort of have this moment that you can, well, I mean, yeah, so projecting yourself onto characters is like, what I think everybody does at some point, like that's how we relate to media, um, is we find things in common uh, with. I'm just gonna end that sentence there. No, you're right. I'm just gonna, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, that's why characters are made the way they are. We're supp- we're supposed to be able to relate to them in some way, given. Usually it's usually supposed to be more like, oh, they're so brave, or you know, like they're intelligent, or you know. They may not, they may be socially awkward. That's usually more what writers go for, but it's the same thing for sexuality, intentional or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think because there are so few ace canon characters, you know, characters that are confirmed within canon and use an asexual label, you know, or it gets like direct reference, like most. Are there for headcanon? You know, even like like Sherlock. I mean, we've talked a lot about Sherlock and how he's relatively easy to headcanon as Ace, but it's only headcanon. Um, like even some people, oh, he's will hold him up as like one of the, the few canonical Ace characters, but it's still like not confirmed um, either in the original works because asexuality was not a concept understood at the time, and even if it was, he wouldn't have written it into a story. Um, And then in the modern BBC adaptation, I can't remember if it was Gatiss or Moffat who, when asked if Sherlock was asexual, said, no, he is not. Um, Which I personally think is just a bogus move. I don't think... Those are the creators of the show, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's a bogus move. I don't think they know what asexuality is. I don't think they properly care how important it is to asexual viewers to be able to have an ace character. Um, yeah, they had their own headcanon. They explain in that interview that they think it's more like a celibacy where he prioritizes, like, he he deprioritizes emotion and prioritizes intellect and reasoning and being like better than other human beings. So he it makes it more, they, they had their own interpretation of what's important to Sherlock's character. That was that like, he would have all these human feelings, including, you know, sexual feelings that he's saying that asexual people aren't human, but um, you know, he's saying all these things, that he has, but he's somehow able to like push them away. And that was like part of their response. Like, and so they basically called asexuality boring and made a lot of asexual people offended. And yeah, it's pretty bad interview with the creators. Oh, I missed that interview. Well, isn't that just delightful? (laughs) But no, I would just, I feel like it makes sense. If you think of it as their own headcanon that they were attached to, even if it was offensive. Um, it's all that, and admittedly, it is true that in the original work, again, partly because they didn't really 
know asexuality was a thing, but it's not stated in there either. So one of the great things about Sherlock is we have this character that has all these traits that marks him as asexual. But again, it's also possible that he's not, and that's their headcanon. Right, there's... Yes, yes they're going well, it's in it. Can I drop another uh, terminology word in here? Um, so TV tropes would call this word of God. If a creator of a show comments on the show and it's not something that is, you know, said in the show itself, it's like, oh, word of God. And so this can like cut both ways when it comes to asexuality, because on The Walking Dead, word of God says, I think it's Daryl. I stopped watching after season one. Um, yeah, Daryl is a yeah, Daryl is asexual. That's not mentioned in the show, but the creator says, like, it is so, and uses the word asexual. So that is a canon asexual character, um, the way that you might argue, well, okay, because Moffat and Orgidas said that Sherlock is not asexual, therefore it is not canon, and we're just, it's like that Doctor Who half-human thing. It's like, the ace community is just throwing that comment out, saying, like, nope, nope, we're ignoring that comment, it doesn't count. You know, it's not mentioned in the show, and therefore... That goes in the corner. (laughs) Yeah. And there's also just, um... I mean, with Sherlock Holmes, I I got to the part of the original works, I haven't read all of them, but I got to the part where Watson is, you know, commenting on, like, didn't you notice how beautiful that woman is? And Holmes is like, what? And that's sort of the things that... Some people interpret as proof he's not straight, but in a gay way. Other people interpret as not straight, but in an asexual way. And there's no proof that he's not straight at all, because he could just be another reason he's not noticing while still being entirely heterosexual, bisexual. There's all sorts of options, which is why you can't call it canon. You can only say this is an, an interpretation or a headcanon that's important to me personally, that kind of thing. Yeah. And of course, and going, we can't ask the author because yeah. he's dead. Going back to the, uh, the cake analogy, you know, if one person thinks it's chocolate, one person thinks it's vanilla, if one person thinks it's asexual, one person thinks it's gay, those are both valid. You know, it shouldn't be because some people say, oh, you know, headcanon characters as ace somehow, you know, is like gay erasure. And it's like, no, it's it's really not um, because these are headcanons. Does that make sense? Well, because these aren't yeah. erasing anything, because they're interpretations in yeah. your own mind, uh, because and also like, yes, yeah, so, so <laughs> you're erasing the non-existent line. Yeah. <laughs> My my interpretation shouldn't be seen as an attack on someone else's alternate interpretation. And there's also the argument of certain characters, like, say, um, a character who is gay in canon could be interpreted as asexual and still homoromantic or, like a lesbian ace, a gay ace, like, various things like that, that's also not homophobic, because these people exist in real life. This is a real thing human beings can be. And Hello! <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, so it's it's not, you know, it's not that every single gay character ever should be desexualized or something, but that, you know, at the same time, not you're allowed to have reasons to interpret characters as ace and you're not hurting anyone when you do this is essentially the idea like you you can see that like well yes they like this character of the same gender as them but is that a sexual liking i'm gonna question it that's my ace prerogative or whatever and that kind of thing can happen it definitely can and you know you bump into this with like every kind of fandom and every kind of any kind of fan group or interest group, I always just come down to the point of where it's like, you know what, if you're not hurting anyone, you're good. <laughs> because again, if there's nothing stating it exactly, no word of God, no explicit moment in the show, book, whatever, stating I'm gay and I totally love sex or whatever, it leaves it very open to interpretation. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, oh, I, I just had another thought. Um, 
the way an ace headcanon can manifest itself in fanfic is is similar and varied. Like sometimes it, it forms like the backbone of the fic. Like this is a story about this character being ace, and sometimes it's kind of like very not present. Like it's there a little bit, but it's not really elaborated on. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, this is my head... This is true of not just Ace Headcanon, but like any headcanon. It's like your headcanon is part of the way you interpret the characters. Um, and so it might influence, you know, the way you, you describe things or the way things pan out in the story, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the story is about that headcanon. It's like, yeah. as a side note, this character is gay or what have you. And when a, when a story is all about the headcanon, usually it's like proof that even if this headcanon was true, look at all these moments in canon that can still happen and exactly the same way because this headcanon doesn't actually, you know, ruin the canon or whatever. It's not, the canon doesn't contradict it. That's your like proof in fan fiction form. But there's also. It does not <laughs> contradict it or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the um, the other things where like if you if you hold on to a headcanon too tightly, or I mean you, not too tightly, if, if you just very tightly have it, uh, you know, <laughs> very very important to you in in how you think about the character every time you think about this character, it becomes especially if it's just something as basic as their sexual orientation, and maybe a complete lack of any attraction to anyone else, you. Would like every single time you write any fic about them, if you're really just attached to that interpretation, even if the fic like isn't even like about anything to do with romance or anything to do with when sexual orientation comes up in your life, it's still like there's no there's no chance that they're gonna suddenly start being attracted to people in a background moment in the scene because it just wouldn't cross your mind if they're asexual in your headcanon or whatever it is. So that kind of thing would be like the way it's just like it would be jarring to you as a reader of other people's fan fiction to see that other people have other head cannons because you're reminded wait my my version of canon is just in my head like that kind of idea <laughs> essentially that not everyone has the same interpretation that can be a scary moment where you just pop into a different thing and it's like the complete opposite you're just like oh wow not in a bad way but it's kind of jarring when you like first experience it for the first time in any fandom. This new headcanon. It's a moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, definitely. I remember there's like this one author writes Smallville fanfic. I'm trying to think of the name. Um, and then they do like somewhat alternate character interpretations where it's sort of like, oh yeah, that that does actually fit with canon. I could see this as being a headcanon, but from one fic to the next, it's very, very different. So there's, like, master manipulator Martha Kent, and you're like, oh, yeah, that does fit in with, you know, her background um, coming from Metropolis and a political family and what sh- we see her doing canon, you know, but it's kind of jarring because it's she's not very nice, and you're kind of like, oh, but where's yeah. that warm, loving Martha Kent? And then, like, the next fic... It's like, oh, yeah, warm, loving Martha Kent. And it's like, oh, yeah. So, like, the same author can write the characters in very different ways. And there was one, it was very weird. It was like, like, oh, yeah, the Ballad of Whitney Fordman, which was sort of like reimagining that whole hazing ritual as part of, like, the town's sort of evolved this survival strategy to deal with meteor psychosis, but, like, nobody talks about it. It was like, it, it was weird, but it was like, oh, this does actually fit with canon. Like, you can't say that it couldn't have happened this way, but it was. Smallville fan fiction. Josephine X, or Josephine X, I don't know the pronunciation. That's the author. First off, that's a great name. That is yes. a great name for that fic. <laughs> the Ballad of Whitney Ford. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> I would just like to throw that out there for the creator, yeah. that it's amazing and it sounds very interesting. And I think um, a lot of people use headcanon to mean, like, the way they really are attached to, a, like, a detail of the plot, a detail of the backstory, a detail of the character. And and if it's just, like, they're going to write it for one fic, and then they'll write it a different way in another fic, that's more like a interpretation or a, like, 
a lot of people would avoid maybe calling it a headcanon if it's not so permanent for that one fan, that one author or whatever. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, you could be like immersed in your experience of writing your story. And for this period of time that you're writing it, this is your headcanon. And then you just shift over time or canon changes and does contradict your headcanon or all sorts of things can happen if it's an ongoing TV show or something. And, uh, and then you, you adjust with the, with, with time and change. And you could, you could call it headcanon. No one's stopping you. I just, I feel like that might be a a little thing that people do. (laughs) You're probably not wrong. That probably is something that happens. And I can totally see it being kind of scooched in a different direction. So about Ace Headcanons, I will say on my own archive of our own account, I have two meta essays with the word headcanon in them. (laughs) In the title, I mean. Uh, And they're both about asexual headcanons because hmm what am i passionate about uh like so yeah i i definitely uh, know how to you know have detailed meta essays explaining like why this character should be asexual um i did it with marley on glee and i did it with spencer reed on criminal minds um and people really like my my meta essays they're like yeah definitely seeing marley is asexual from now on this makes perfect sense i wish she you know this is my headcanon now too kind of attitude and i um and i mean i definitely don't think they're like my best work ever i just was having fun and i'm happy that other people have fun reading <laughs> my interpretation well that's another good point about headcanon a lot of it is about fun and just <laughs> showing our love for this thing that's true of fandom, though. Like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not contradicting you, um, but it's that's what I love about fandom too. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think headcanon can be an even more informal way to interact with fandom than a lot of the other ways I interact with fandom. Like, when you write a fictional story, even if it's fan fiction, you're paying attention to making sure it flows, sentence structure, grammar, whatnot. You're you're trying to have a polished product when you post it, especially if it's a long story. Not everyone does it that way. You don't have to. That's the beauty of fandom. But I think headcanon essays are often less polished in general. Like, just, like, when you're writing that kind of thing, it's Uh, just, it's it's more of a let's get my thoughts out, and they're just my thoughts. They're not a full story, so who cares if it's not perfect? (laughs) Yeah, I feel like the attitude that a lot of people have when like putting out a headcanon is sort of like, I don't care who reads this, or I'm not expecting, you know, a lot of people to to share this, but I just wanted to put the idea out there because I like this idea, um, and that kind of does make it that less less formal, less polished. Because if you're if you're writing a fic and you you really want to to get as many readers as you can, you're gonna pour over that thing with a fine-toothed comb to make it, like, the best possible. Whereas, like you said, I might just be reiterating what you just said. No, I think it's it's fine. It's getting the point across a lot. Yes. It's really important. Is it? <laughs> Maybe not. We can edit. I don't know. <laughs> it definitely is important to get the point across, whatever it is. Yeah. I also have an aromantic headcanon that's, like, even really short, and I posted on Tumblr or something first, but then I posted it on Archive Around, too. And that one's, I think, uh, Oliver Queen on Arrow, because I like aromantic headcanons, too. And I don't know. I'm not as good at them. I find, I find asexual headcanons come more naturally to me, but I really like interpreting more and more allosexual characters as aromantic if I can because just because they're not asexual doesn't mean they can't be aromantic <laughs> this is a good point oh uh, you know you know which one we did not mention we did not mention Supernatural and how they yes. have Castiel and that is a huge huge asexual demisexual headcanon that pops up Basically, yeah. if you type in any kind of asexual on AO3, you're going to get some supernatural stuff about Castiel. Yeah, it is a huge fandom, um, and I think the the thing is 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 I haven't seen past. I don't even remember where I stopped. Somewhere like in the middle of seven, maybe season seven, 
That's um, okay. And then I'm behind like two seasons or maybe three, possibly more. Yeah, no, but I'm I'm like I'm like okay, but I hear things like oh like the Castile eventually. Well, there's a bit with the prostitutes. This is gonna sound weird out of context, <laughs> but for the record, guys, it was hilarious. <laughs> if it's the one I'm thinking of, yes, with her um, father and and so on forth. Like yes, oh, I loved that. It sounds even worse now that I'm saying that. What's going on? It sounds even worse because we're just over here giggling about it. We're just like, oh my god, this is amazing. So, we haven't even explained so, it. So Castiel is an angel, um, and he joins like Sam and Dean Winchester on Team Free Will to like fight against the rest of the angels who are actually pro-apocalypse. Castiel is like losing his angelic powers and becoming human and Dean's idea is like, okay, if you're gonna be human, you need to appreciate human things. You need to get laid. And so he brings him to a brothel, but then As you do with your angelic friends. <laughs> but then instead he just like tells the prostitute, like, we don't see this. This happens like off off camera. Then it's like I told her like why her father ran away and then like where her father was living or something. I think I, I think it was like hi, hi, you shouldn't blame yourself for like what your father did. It was something like those lines. Like it's not your fault. He didn't leave because of you. And basically, like, daddy oh. issues. Yeah, basically, just like talking with a prostitute instead of like what he was paid, what she was paid to do. Basically, one of the reasons in my meta essay that read on Criminal Minds is is actual was this scene with the prostitute where people are like, "Why did you just talk to her and not like you know that kind of thing?" Um, but yeah, yeah. I, okay, but this wasn't um, just talking to her. This was like he was psychoanalyzing her. Like he 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 was giving her basically a therapy session. Well, Reed Reed was helping her quit smoking too. I think it was like, yeah. "Have you tried hypnosis?" Um, yeah. yeah, no, there's there's a number of other incidents where they play up Castiel's clueless about humanity. Um, yeah, that's a good way of like putting even it. things which often come across to ace viewers, maybe especially, uh, as being like very ace. Uh, because it's like not having an interest in... Um, or again, like even someone like being interested in... in, in you're, you're just sitting there kind of like, why? And you're like... Yeah. It's like, oh, the pizza it. man... Sorry. Oh yeah, that was another thing where they like they showed him porn, and again like yeah. he, he doesn't make it doesn't make any sense there where he's like, why why is she doing that to get pizza? Oh <laughs> yeah, and again total confusion where you're like why was this the course of events? And so it resonates a lot with asexual people yeah. and even possibly aromantic people because again it's this this kind of disconnect between like kind of what normal people may think or I guess not normal people but. Your average individual right. who is allosexual? straight or, yeah, allosexual, that's the word. Your typical allosexual. And then there's the asexual spectrum. We're, we're just a little confused about how that all happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. we, most of us had a period in our lives where people around us understood it and we didn't understand it yet. And when we did come to understand it, it wasn't a personal, deep down, I feel it understanding. It was an intellectual, academic I understand what other people are feeling about it. That's often where we relate to the character who uh, still doesn't get it because once we didn't get it. Yeah. I still have that moment watching some movies where they'll, again, they'll go off into the bedroom. I'm still like, how did, how did this progression happen? This makes no sense to me. <laughs> yeah. But then there's things like with Castile. And again, I haven't seen far enough. Um, and I don't really plan to either because you know enough spoilers and like eh, whatever um <laughs> but that he gets progressively more human right he gets more emotive like you compare him and it's like his first appearance yeah. like he starts later. to understand better yeah and then along with that he also becomes more sexually active um at least that was sort of my like the thing with meg which i hear about but i haven't i don't think i actually saw that Bar- I think I missed that one too. Um, but yeah. I do know there was an alternate universe episode where. Spoiler alert! But are you talking Sam, about the French- like, accepted the devil and then? <laughs> oh no! And like in that universe, Castiel was just like full on gone, and like had an orgy and everything. Yeah, it was just a giant orgy room. Yeah, and, and that that was going. different. That was different. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, like, how true was that? Because it was like, it was all a dream that was, you know, forced on Sam to try and convince, you know, whatever. Yeah. Devil there, stuff. There's a lot of you little know. 
I mean, I kind of resented the implication that being sexual is such an intrinsic part of being human, that as you become more human, you will also, you know, be more interested in sex. Like, can't we just keep early season Castiel, who is completely uninterested and clueless about it? Like, I like that that version best. Yeah, I'm more I'm more than a little resented when shows decide that, you know, having kind feelings or becoming more human or whatever has to be tied to becoming less asexual because you know, I want I want the the good characters to be asexual. <laughs> I mean, that's all it is. So yeah. Well, and admittedly, again, you will run to play in headcanons a lot about him being demisexual as well. And there are even asexuals I know who actually like like having sex, like they don't necessarily understand like some aspects of how it like happens in terms of like how an allosexual will explain it to us, but they enjoy it. And, and so I kind of looked at it like that where I was like, okay. Yeah. I mean, I if you're, just like full on went down that road of it. I think I would be the type of person who would be very attached to my headcanon. So if they change certain things and my one hand get my one headcanon that he doesn't like sex at all is maybe, disproved and contradicted, I could still be like, well, there are asexuals out there who like sex, so he's still one of those. He's not, like, completely not asexual. I can't completely let go of the headcanon. That's too important to me, the headcanon. I need to hold on I to it. I can understand. <laughs> I, I have a hard time doing that. Like, I tend to, like, stick to canon. More. So in that same not-really-a-headcanon thing where Neil was part bird, I was like, oh, Mozzie's part raccoon, but then they came out with an episode where he's like, I hate raccoons. I was like, man, you just killed my weird headcanon. That was <laughs> better find something else. <laughs> uh, okay. I don't remember the episode where he doesn't like raccoons, by the way. Uh, he's installing security at the Burke's house and sitting on a couch with Elizabeth. And then complaining about raccoons. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> Uh, well, so we've talked a lot about headcanons, some of them asexual, some of them raccoon, but, um, <laughs> and we may have killed off a couple times, maybe. I got to the supernatural webpage that talks about season eight, where, uh, Meg tells Castrol that should they both survive this, they should have sex, though initially confused by her choice of words, he understands and does not seem opposed. <laughs> I'm like, what? Alright. <laughs> uh, well, at least he understood. <laughs> Progress. Ah, uh, supernatural wiki. Um, alright, so, closing that page. Should we go on to Rex? Yeah! I, I think we've ranted long enough. <laughs> Giving people a lot to think about. Okay, so... I admittedly am a little sad to say that my wreck is again Yuri on Ice, but when I was going through some of the ones that I just have fun reading and just that had kind of been really interesting for me to read in terms of asexuality, this one popped up again. I was kind of like, you know what? This is a short one, but it's got some good stuff to it. It's called Earnest Love, and it's by Jellyfish Fix. That's jelly, as in jellyfish so with the two l's fish fix all one word it's on ao3 and it's just one page it's like four thousand words and it involves um both a demisexual character and an asexual character but the part of it that i like is that um the demisexual character is actually aware i'm not gonna spoil which one's which of the two main characters i'm gonna let you guys figure that out but there's actually this moment where the other character who's asexual kind of has this realization that they are. And I really liked reading that in this because it's an adult kind of figuring out after spending a good amount of their time not being aware of it or like not even realizing it was really something open to them. And I just thought that was really nice to see in a Vic. Yeah. What was it called again? It's called Earnest Love. That sounds very sweet as a title after I hear the description of what the story is. Um. <laughs> it is. Admit- admittedly, there's a couple like slightly uncomfortable scenes into it just in terms of like them figuring it out because, but it's it's a good picture of like a healthy communication relationship. So great. I thought it deserved to be on here. Cool. 
So this episode, I'm wrecking legitimacy by insane troll logic. That's one word, insane troll logic. Um, and so this is actually the third in a series of uh, the CW Impulse fic, which brings the comics character Impulse, Bart Allen, into the CW's Flash universe. Um, so it's a really fun series. I mean, I just really like Impulse as a character, so I'm like, yay, more Impulse fic needs to exist in the world, but this is, like, really well done. And I picked this one for the, the headcanon episode because it's sort of like one of, one of the ones I mentioned, that sometimes a headcanon is just something that sort of slides into the story without being the focus of the story. The character... Uh, in the story, who is asexual, is uh, Barry. Uh, I've seen a number of, of Ace Bart fix as well. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but that's definitely worth looking into if you're, if you're interested. Um, so even though the author doesn't use the term headcanon per se, and this might not be their headcanon, I'm just going to read the, the note at the end. Here's what the author says. Like, Ace Barry just kind of sneaked in there because it turns out every... Barry Allen, I write, is Ace Barry. And I actually podficked one of Insane Troll Logic's asexual Barry Allen stories. Because, really? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so it's this idea that, yeah, like, Barry being ace is like, he, like, the word asexual I don't think is even used in the story. Um, but his asexuality is alluded to, and that kind of headcanon, like, oh, things being alluded to uh, is sort of a nice demonstration of one way that headcanon can manifest. I, I want to read it, even though I don't know any of these uh, other characters <laughs> very well. Because You don't sorry, need to. Yeah. It's, it's a really good... It's Because it's a crossover, um, it's written so that you don't need to be familiar with Impulse or Bart's background, because the main characters who you are familiar with, like Iris and Barry and Cisco, are equally unfamiliar with impulse <laughs> so you know you can it's written with that kind of like who is this person very uh, yeah yeah very accessible uh if you're not familiar with uh impulse i would say you probably should be familiar with uh the cw at least season one i think it's of, actually set of the in flash one. okay the flash yeah yeah all right and remind us of the title one last time. Legitimacy. Uh, it's the third in the series. The series is just called CW Impulse Fic. Oh, okay. It's a collection right. of CW Impulse Fic. <laughs> I would never have guessed. <laughs> and so glad the title is not misleading. <laughs> and now it's time for my rec, which is Q&A. Which just the ampersand in the middle. One word. Q&A by... Uh, Glad Deceased. It's, I think it's like, I think it's like a play on like how you would pronounce Gladys as a name, but it's it's Glad G L A D and then Decease, and all one word. Okay, so this author wrote a Teen Wolf fic about Styles being asexual back in 2012. So not all of Teen Wolf had aired yet. Uh, this is basically based on season one, I think, of Teen Wolf. I really like it. It's really, it's really fun, partially because it's, um, it's focusing on the kinds of questions that asexual people tend to ask. Trying to analyze what is sexual attraction? What makes people attractive to other people? What are other people feeling? Am I feeling the same things as other people? And it's doing it in a very in-character way. Styles literally is this character on the show. He's literally asks the question about attraction to people on the show. He asks people um, all sorts of attraction-type questions in a couple moments on the series. And they just use it and run with it for a very fun headcanon. So that's why I picked this fic to wreck on this episode. You, the other reason I personally like it is because I don't actually ship Derek and Styles. I'm not a Steric shipper, and like 95% of Ace Teen Wolf fics are Steric ship. This fic is not. This is just about Styles. Most Ace fic is about Derek being asexual, actually. But um, this one is about Styles being asexual, and I just really like it. So 
If you guys were in the Teen Wolf fandom, you'd probably like it too. Um, and it's an I old. I admittedly know like nothing about the Teen Wolf fandom besides that there are teenagers and wolves. Uh, I was in it for a while because like like all my favorite authors seem to be writing like Teen Wolf fic, and so then I was like, okay, I will watch this show, and then I like binge watched the first season, and then I was like starting the second season, but. There was, like, this whole mystery that they were building up that I'd been spoiled for because I was, like, reading the fic before watching. And so then I, like, lost interest in watching because I was like, well, I'll just read the fic. And then I found other fandoms, so I kind of, like, moved away from it. But I do definitely have a couple of Teen Wolf flicks bookmarked as, like, I really like this one. Yeah. No, there's definitely parts of Teen Wolf fandom that I really love, and I also stopped watching at some point, but I kind of am planning to finish the show eventually, because I did get attached to the characters, and I don't like giving up on shows, so we'll see. I might watch it eventually. But I like how, like, the very first comment on this story was someone saying, you're right, I hadn't thought of it before, but there actually is nothing I can recall in Styles' behavior inconsistent with asexuality. It's kind of amazing. And of course, I don't quite buy it. Like, I don't headcanon Styles as asexual. I feel like from the beginning, there are things inconsistent with my view of what an asexual character is, which is a very, like, biased, I'm projecting myself onto him kind of way. I think he's a little too interested in Lydia and stuff, but... um. But I think it's interesting because basically this author made a very compelling case for how Styles could be asexual in canon, and that's where it's basically a headcanon, and I like this story. Cool. Cool and, beans. And this one was called Q&A. All right. And yeah, um, we'll link to all of these on our archive of our own account so you can find the fix again without having to Google if you can't spell the usernames or whatever. It's fine. The fic author names can often be hard to follow. when <laughs> We do try, but we get it. Join us next episode for our brand new topic of coming out as ace. You can reach us at our email address, which is provided in the link below. And also, I, I know our email aceterpretations <laughs> at gmail.com I knew that <laughs> I knew that this is KK see you next time this is Quartic falling asleep <laughs> this is love the heaven goodbye <laughs> <laughs>